It's Friday, and that means it's time to grab a drink with some great minds in history on this round of The Chaser. So welcome to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Mr. DGMH, otherwise known as Zach DiBacco, and today we are going to look into some shit that happened right after the sun set over France in 1715. But first, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. The Chaser. Now, I'm sure you all remember the part in the Louis episode where I said, quote, From 1710 to 1713, European powers worked to ratify the Treaty of Utrecht, which ended the War of the Spanish Succession, placed a bourbon on the throne of Spain, and ended the last war of Louis' long reign. Well, surprise, after that, everything totally went to shit. But before we get into how a bunch of Louis, King Philip V, and the British fucked up everything, let's talk about what I will be chasing this episode with today. Today, I went to the neighbor's house, and I bummed some of his good bourbon, as today, we are talking about a lot of bourbon. Today's bourbon is Buffalo Trace out of Franklin County, Kentucky. I didn't have a French bourbon, if that is even a thing, and I couldn't find one about beavers. So I went with another adorable North American creature that was tragically massacred. Well, technically there aren't any buffalo in North America, just bison, but who really gives a shit? If you're of proper age and drinking along at home, grab yourself a bourbon, sit back, and enjoy a drink with great minds in history. So today I want to talk about a few pieces of the Louis episode, but first I want to discuss a piece of the puzzle that I somewhat purposely left under-discussed in the main episode, the quote, setting sun. That is to say, the death of King Louis XIV, and what happened after. To start, Louis XIV had one heir. Louis, who had three sons of his own and was outlived by his father. When Louis, the heir to the throne, died in 1711, his eldest son Louis, Duke of Burgundy, was now the heir to the still-living King Louis XIV. Confused yet? Well, the shit is really about to hit the fan. By this point, the War of the Spanish Succession was raging across Europe. Louis XIV had put his second grandson, Philip, forward as the heir to the Spanish throne, which seems easy enough. Louis's eldest grandson, Louis, was to be king of France, and his second grandson, Philip, would be the king of Spain. And no one, of course, gave a shit about his third grandson, Charles, Duke of Berry, who, by the way, married his great-uncle's granddaughter. What the fuck? You can probably understand why I didn't talk about all of this in the Louis episode. It's a shit show. So in 1712, all was pretty much decided. Louis, France, Philly, Spain, Charles, who gives a shit. And oh damn, Louis, France died. Luckily, and just so that it can stay as confusing as fucking possible, Louis had a Louis who was Louis's great-grandson. So that Louis was now Louis's heir. And in 1715, when Louis XIV finally died, likely of gangrene brought on by any combination of diabetes or gout or whatever disease from that period killed people, his great-grandson Louis ascended the throne. Louis XIV was buried in Saint-Denis Basilica outside of Paris until revolutionaries dug up all the bones in that basilica and burned them all. Fucking French revolutionaries. So where are we now? 
The War of the Spanish Succession ends in 1713 with the signing of the Treaty of Utrecht, Louis XIV dies in 1715, and Louis XV ascends to the French throne on September 1st, 1715, the same day as Louis XIV's death. The king is dead, long live the king. Louis XIV's brother, Philippe the Duke of Orléans, would serve as the regent to the five-year-old boy king, Louis XV, and Philip V was king of Spain. Well, I definitely need another shot after that mess. So on to the real topic for today. Yeah, that wasn't it. Today we are going to discuss what happened after the sun finally set over Versailles in 1715 as we look into the Treaty of Utrecht and the Forgotten War of the Quadruple Alliance. Jumping quickly to 1713, the Treaty of Utrecht did a lot of shit. It ceded Gibraltar to Britain as well as the right to trade slaves into the Spanish Empire, and you better believe they fucking did. It named Philip V of House Bourbon as King of Spain, it ended the War of the Spanish Succession, and it transferred all of Spain's Italian territories to the Austrian Habsburgs. And that should have been the end of it, but of course, this is European history, it wasn't. Per the treaty, Philip V had to relinquish all claims to France, as well as Spain's territory in Italy and the Spanish Netherlands, but surprise, he didn't. First, he didn't try to take back France or conquer France, but he did try to have himself installed as little Louis XV's regent, but that totally backfired. He didn't try to take over the now Austrian Netherlands, as no one really wanted those, but he did want Italy back, so he took it. After some remarkable economic recovery, Philip's Spain was ready to do what all successful European monarchies do, start a war. In January 1717, Philip reconquered Sardinia, and after facing little to no opposition there, he landed 30,000 troops in Sicily in July of 1718. Now very clearly looking at the Treaty of Utrecht and saying, eh, fuck it. But things weren't going to work out for Philip. Britain and the Dutch Republic joined with Austria to stop Philip, and curveball, they were joined by King Louis XV's France. This is known to history as the War of the Quadruple Alliance, and it was actually pretty disastrous for Spain. But in the end, it really did nothing of note, returning everything to 1717 status quo. And as if I haven't wasted enough of your time, let's look at one last piece of the post-Louis puzzle. Now today I did want to look into one specific piece of the Treaty of Utrecht, that piece on the slave trade, more specifically something called the Asiento. Literally translating to seat in English, the Asiento de Negros was a consent or settlement by Spain to a foreign country or merchant company granting them the exclusive right to handle all trade in African slaves to the Spanish Americas. The Spanish verb asientas literally means you agree. The first outsider to be granted this trade right was the Kingdom of Portugal who established early dominance of the West African coastline. But these rights were also extended to Genoa. The name for this agreement is rooted in the name for the original Spanish bankers, sometimes called Asantistas, whose bankruptcy led Spain towards foreign traders. The Dutch, the French, and the English would all be granted the Asiento at one point or another. But when the British were granted the Asiento in 1713 as part of the Treaty of Utrecht, things rapidly changed. Originally created in the 16th century as a naive plan to curtail the forced labor and or enslavement of the indigenous American populace, after a critique by Bartolomé de las Casas of the Spanish treatment of the natives as well as the havoc wreaked by disease, the first Asiento was chartered in 1518 to a Flemish company, which at the time was part of, quote, Spain. 
But in 1713, things changed, and unsurprisingly, the British took it to a whole new level. As I have mentioned before, by the 1700s, slave trading was a business like any other, and it was at its all-time height. Specifically, the Asiento allowed Britain to transport around 4,800 slaves per year into Spain's colonies in the Americas. But it really served as a way for the British to smuggle goods into Spanish America, which would eventually cause a war over an ear. Yes, I said an ear. But let's save that story for another day. Get ready for some awesome math skills. Let's look at the numbers. Britain was granted the Asiento from the end of the War of the Spanish Succession in 1713 until 1750. In that 37-year period, Spain carried zero African slaves into captivity in the Americas. But of the nearly 1 million Africans that Britain brought and sold into captivity, it can be assumed that approximately 200,000 of them were carried into Spain's colonies in the Americas. As a point of comparison, in the 50 years prior to 1700, the Spanish imported under 20,000 African slaves into their colonies in the Americas. Now don't get me wrong, the Spanish were no fucking saints, and in fact would carry slaves into their Caribbean colonies until the 1870s. As the African slave trade was unraveling all around the world, Spain was actually importing more slaves than ever before. Of the around 1 million slaves brought to Spanish America, nearly 80% were transported in the 1800s. Now a few quick points to take from this. One, the Asiento encouraged the trade of African slaves into Spanish America as a way to counter the loss of indigenous labor. Two, it was all done for profit. And three, it was something that trading companies lobbied for. What assholes, but that's kind of everyone in this period of history. For a treaty that most people have likely never heard of, it did a lot of shit. And next to none of that shit was good, but good and great are very different things. So let's move to the scale of greatness. Like I said, today I am reading one of the neighbor's bourbons, specifically Buffalo Trace Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. By the way, for all of those like me who aren't super knowledgeable on bourbons, to be considered a straight bourbon, it must be aged for at least two years. Named for an area of Kentucky first settled by, quote, pioneers in 1775, this stuff is pretty good and honestly a bit better than my cheap-ass Black Eagle bourbon. In terms of taste, I have to say it is very smooth and has a unique flavor to it. The bottle says it, quote, invites discovery with every sip. And I can't say that I disagree. It's surprisingly sweet, extremely aromatic, and I can't tell if it's vanilla or cinnamon, but there's a hint of something in there that's just fantastic. Probably one of the better bourbons that I have had, but I am no bourbon snob. I'm gonna be fair here and give it a solid five points for taste. Switching things up here, since price almost always factors into returnability, I am going to talk first about price. This one is a little tricky. Occasionally you can find this stuff for $23 a bottle, but even at Total Wine, the DGMH standard, it, it comes in around $28. I can't really say that that is a good price, but it isn't terrible. Decent whiskeys and bourbons just seem to cost a little more, but do you get what you pay for? In this case, I'd say yeah. Four points for price. But would I return? 
Well, yeah, I guess. It has a unique flavor, a nice look to the bottle, and it really is quite smooth. Bourbons aren't my favorite, and the price isn't great. It's better than the cheap stuff, and I would rather have this than comparable bottles. I asked the neighbor what he thought, and he said it was an average drink, and he gave it around 14 out of 18 points. So again, being fair, I'm going to give it 4 points for returnability. Coming in at 13 out of 18 points, Buffalo Trace Bourbon narrowly escapes with 5 crowns. And again, I would say it is one of the better bourbons that I have tried, and I do look forward to trying more. Well, that's it. It's not surprising that Louis' death was followed by yet another war. Philip V would usher in a new age of reform in Spain and the Spanish Empire. Louis XV would continue Louis XIV's hateful wars against the adorable beavers of North America, and in part thanks to Louis XIV's spending, as well as crazy Enlightenment ideals and things like the American Revolution, the revolution in France seemed all but inevitable. Louis reached the zenith of his power in the 1680s, but he really never ceased to be powerful. And as the sun set on his empire, the, the transatlantic slave trade would reach its height. His heirs would fail to maintain the world he left for them. But the Sun King and the Bourbon Dynasty would continue to represent the standard of absolutism and despotism for European monarchs for centuries, until everyone started burning their corpses, cutting off their heads, and dragging their bones through the streets. Fucking French revolutionaries. Oh well. Cheers!